Morning. Nice to finally be back together, huh? Nice to just not be snowing. Uh, I think I'll take that. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. A morning to you. Uh, what are you afraid of? I, all of? All of us have different sorts of fears, right? Maybe you're afraid of uh, heights or snakes or the dentist. Uh, really could be anything, right? Uh, fascinatingly, uh, most of the things that we're afraid of are things we shouldn't really be afraid of. Like, you've probably heard that you're about 90 times more likely to die in a car crash than you are a plane crash. And yet, a lot of people are terrified of flying. In fact, before the tragic events of this last week on Southwest Airlines, literally zero people had died in a plane crash, a commercial plane crash, on U.S. soil in the last four years. Uh, Many Americans nowadays are afraid of uh, dying in a a terrorist attack. And yet, in the last 15 years, an average of only six Americans uh, have died at the hands of a terrorist, while about 36,000 Americans have died because of another uh, terroristic threat, the flu, right? And so, yet we're not as afraid of that, right? What about sharks? Anybody afraid of sharks? Getting eaten by a shark, killed by a shark, right? Okay, many of you, uh, you have about a 1 in 300 million chance of getting killed by a shark. In fact, uh, statistics show that you are much likely, much more likely to be killed by your spouse, actually. (laughs) Your chances are 1 in 135,000 only of that. So go ahead, if you're married, just give a suspecting look uh, to, to the one next to you. Okay, as we continue in our Overwhelmed series this morning, we're going to take a look at the second topic of the series, and that is fear. Now, in general, just defining terms, fear is a response we have to an immediate and a known threat. Now, most of the time, it's a bad thing. It can be a good thing, right? If you're walking down an alley and somebody pulls a knife on you, it would be just weird if you didn't have any fear, right? Fear is helpful. It's a helpful response in that scenario. Uh, It's also helpful to contrast fear with anxiety because fear is you're worried about something very specific. Anxiety, in contrast, is a response that we have to the possibility that something just ambiguous, something could happen some day. Now, anxiety is exponentially on the rise in the United States, and so don't miss next week when we talk about that. Make sure you're back for that. Okay, so let's just get back to fear. What are the things that we most commonly fear? And I'm not just talking a claustrophobia or spiders, but where are you experiencing fear in your daily life right now? I just want you to begin thinking through that. Is it the fear of failure? And remember, fear, unlike anxiety, is where you're worried about a specific thing happening. So maybe you're you're just fearful about maybe losing your job this month. Right? Is it the fear of rejection? Maybe you're struggling with the fear of the possibility of a relationship ending. Is it the fear of what might happen if you actually step out and you trust God in something? Right? To start a new business or uh, to challenge something that's unethical at work or to share your faith. Uh, Related to that, is there something just socially that you're just having fear over. Maybe it's going to your house group. Maybe it's starting a house group, you know, joining one. Uh, Maybe it's having a conversation that you know you just need to have, but out of fear, you just keep putting it off. What are you fearful of? And how do we deal with fear? Well, the culture tells us that we are to deal with our fear by looking within. Right? We're all supposed to, I mean, this is what every sort of 
promotional ad sort of tells us. We're supposed to look inside of us and see how amazing and how brave we are and thus conquer our fear. And except what happens most of the time when we really look inside? We follow the world's advice. We look deep inside of us. And what we find isn't always that amazing. Now, the Bible's known this all along. This is, in Christianity, what's referred to as the doctrine of original sin. It's the idea that since Adam and Eve, we've all been hardwired towards sin. It's what's most natural for us. And the only way to begin to rewire your composition is to give your life to Christ and let the Holy Spirit come in and begin to change you. And see, without that spiritual change, the process of looking inside actually leads to this really weird dissonance for most Americans. Right? We're told that we're amazing and that we're kind and that we're wonderful. And yet when we look inside most of you, you know what your thoughts are like. Right? I'm sure you just think really nice thoughts all the time. Except I know you don't. I know in my life sometimes we just think really mean things, right? Sometimes our thoughts aren't all that amazing. We're told that we are hashtag strong and hashtag brave. And yet when we're alone with ourselves, most of the time we're just scared out of our minds. And so... You do the process, and you look inside, right? You're supposed to find beauty and strength and bravery. And when you look inside and you don't find those things, often it just makes us feel worse than ever. I believe that this is one of the great ironies of our American culture. Think about this. As a society, never have we ever been told to love ourselves more. And yet never have we ever hated ourselves more. The process doesn't work. So what do you do then if you look inside yourself and you don't find anything within to conquer your fear? And if anything, that process of looking within yourself actually makes you more fearful. What do we do? Well, we need to recognize that we need to stop looking within and start looking outside of ourselves. And so we've got to look to God. We've got to look to his word. What does God say about fear? Uh, what you're going to see in our Overwhelmed series uh, every week is that God paints a totally different picture on how to deal with these super large struggles in our lives. Stress and fear and anxiety. As we take a look at this today, I want to look at one of the letters in the Bible where, where the Lord just specifically addresses this topic of fear. I would love for you to follow along today. There's a Bible under every chair. Uh, We're going to be on page 988, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. Honestly, today, I'd love for you to use either one of these, because we're just going to camp out in this text, in these few couple of verses, and we're going to keep drawing from it all all morning long. You're going to be here at at least 2 o'clock today. I'm just kidding. Uh, But I just want in front of you, so if you use the app, you just tap Bible or Weekly Verses. And if you have the Bible, uh, page 988. Now, this is a letter that's written by one of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples, John. And, and let's just, let's just be, see what we can draw out of this. So it's 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 17. That's the little number. Here's what John writes. He says, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so John makes some pretty amazing statements here. He says there is no, zero fear in love. 
he's, he's saying that perfect love, which is the love of Christ for you, actually drives out fear. He's giving you right now the fear cure, letting you know that there is a remedy for the fear that you're facing in your life. That if you've got this thing in your life that you know is coming your way this week or this next month and you're just feeling fearful about it, he's saying that the fear cure, the cure for that, the way out of that is his perfect love. Now, I know for many of you, there's a part of you that goes, oh, okay, nice, but that's just too simplistic. It's not as easy as me being fearful about something and just saying, oh, God loves me. And you're right, it's not just three magic words or anything like that. The cure is more of this idea that when fear comes in your life, it is a strategy, it is a remedy that you can apply to drive out fear. And the Bible says that perfect, the perfect love of God drives out fear. And even if you're like, "Ah, I don't know, I'll just tell you, the scriptures are not lying to you. Maybe if this just seems like too good to be true, the scriptures are not lying to you. So I just want to take some time and just unpack this and work this out this morning. So we're going to look at three ways that the perfect love of God drives out fear. How this actually works in your life. Uh, Number one, the perfect love of God reminds me that God is in control. Uh, By the way, as we walk through these, uh, you can take notes on your app if you want to just write these down. You just go to the message for today and tap take a note. and It'll save it in there uh, for all of time, uh, which is great. Uh, So you can look back at it as well. So you you look to scripture. The Bible is just chock full of different stories where people face uh, fearful situations. Uh, King David faced a number of them. I think uh, when his kingdom was being overwhelmed by the rebellion from his own son, he starts to feel fear and he writes this down. But look at how he interprets this. This is Psalm chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. He says, I lie down and sleep, and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. How can you say that? And most of us aren't facing an army of a couple thousand people coming at us, right? How can he say that? Well, you can say that when you know that your God is in control when you know that the God of the universe is your ally. You know, this is, this is honestly sort of an interesting topic for me. I don't uh, generally consider myself a, a fearful person. Uh, do you know what the number one fear in America is? Anybody know? Public speaking, yes. All right, so I got that, okay. Uh, I, uh, I'm just more of a risk taker than the average person, uh, entrepreneur, started a church, that, that sort of stuff. However... If you would have known me as a teenager, you would have said, that guy's a scaredy cat. In fact, one of my nicknames, among many, when I was in high school, uh, was Dad. Um, Because my friends, I was always the kid in the group that would say, oh, guys, I don't know if we should. It's probably not safe. Right? (laughs) Because I was just fearful. In fact, I remember when I was 17 years old, one time I was hanging out with three of my high school friends. One of them's in the room today, goes to our church, Tim Larson. And we were hanging out, and they were all hanging out with their girlfriends, and then it was just me. I had a, she was working. Um, and, uh, and one of the guys said that night, he said, guys, I think that the seven of us ought to sneak in to the old state hospital. Now, I grew up in Cambridge, 
Minnesota. Back in the day, Cambridge had an enormous state hospital, served uh, people with epilepsy and disabilities. In fact, I found this picture online. This is back from when the building opened in 1925. Uh, there was a time that they had seven or eight buildings of this side, size in Cambridge. At its peak, it actually served more than 2,000 people with disabilities. It was more than the population of the town at the time. So 2,000 people with, possi- with disabilities, and unfortunately didn't serve them very well, as was the case with a lot of state hospitals way back in the day. Now, by the time that I was in high school, uh, almost all of the buildings were empty. And uh, they looked, I mean, if you just drove through there, they looked like they were right out of a horror movie. In fact, I found a picture online of what they looked like on the inside right before they were torn down. They've torn them down the last couple of years. And let's just look inside. This is literally what it looks like. Uh, just creepy beyond all creepy. And so when it suggested, hey, let's just sneak into the old state, empty state hospital, I'm going, uh-uh. Dad says no, right? This is, this is not a good idea. But you've got all these other guys, they're there with their girlfriends, right? And so they're going, oh, yeah, let's go into the hospital, right? Because that's what guys do, especially if you're 17, right? And so everybody's going, I just get in the car anyway. And so we get to this building, and we go around the back, and you've got, it's pitch black. You get creepy state hospital on one side, and it's just 15 feet from the back of the building is just a forest, just creepy forest on the other side. We get out of the car, and there's this sort of broken window that you can sneak through on the second floor, and they're starting to go in and lift people up. And I say, you know what, guys? I'm just going to wait outside. I'll watch the car, right? (laughs) And so they all start going in, and I have this thought. I go, oh, no. It's way scarier to be standing out here by the forest in this creepy building by myself. And then I thought, in the movies, the one who always gets killed first <laughs> is the one standing by themselves, right? And so I just, I just yell out, I go, hey guys, wait for me. And somebody pulls me up and we, we walk into this building and it just, it literally looks just like this. There's stuff all over the floor. We walk around, the guys showed off their testosterone and now we were there for about 10 minutes and left. But what I remember about that day is the same thing that I remember about most of my youth and that I was always always the fearful one in the group, every time. Now fast forward about 15 years. I'm now in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I'm leading a group of about 14 people from our church. We just got out of the airport. I don't know if you've ever been to an airport in a developing country, but it is an interesting experience, right? It's crazy. And so you're walking through there. You don't really know what to go. People are speaking a different language. They're coming up to you saying, I need this identification. I need this paper. I need this. They're saying, go that way and this way. And people are coming up to you, touching your suitcase and saying, I'll take this out to your car for you, right? And it's just, it's hectic. And so, you know, nerves are sort of afraid. We get out into the car and we get to, I lead our group to our transportation, which in Haiti is a, at that time was a large a tap-tap. I brought you a picture of it. Now, this was our team uh, this year. Um, that's actually not a tap-tap. Uh, this was our team um, uh, that year. We were out in the countryside at this point. But we, we get on this building. It's like a large, this vehicle, it's like a large truck bed. You just stand in the back. We start going through the chaotic streets of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And as we're riding this truck, you know, the team is just sort of gawking at the trash-filled streets and the poverty-stricken people. I began to just have this private, powerful moment with God. Honestly, one of the most memorable moments of my life, and it just happened. It was all in my head, just between me and the Lord. 
And I started looking around at the faces of my team members. Some of, their, some of them were there for the first time, just nervously looking around. And I just had this thought, and I thought, David, who are you? I thought, God, this is absolutely incredible. I'm here in this country, and I'm having the time of my life. I'm thinking, this is chaos, right? And I'm thinking, I love this. I love risk. I love adventure. And I thought, God, I'm not fearful at all. And then I had this moment where I just flashed back to being 17. And I just started to get emotional. This is just all in my head. And I just thought, God, you have done a work in my life. Just unbelievable work in my life. And I didn't do that. But I didn't just look inside me and find the courage because it wasn't there. God did it in me. But how? It's just him moving in me, his perfect love driving out fear. Now, I've had 18 years now of walking with Christ. I became a Christian when I was 18. Plenty of screw-ups. I don't want you to get the false impression. Plenty of fearful weeks, plenty of fearful months in there. But I just have each day of learning more and believing more in the perfect love of God. Believing more, and this is just the thing that he's teaching me every day, every day. I am not in control. But the one who loves me is in control. And so if the God of the universe is in control and loves me, then I don't need to fear what's going to happen on the streets of Haiti right now. I don't need to start playing out scenarios like, okay, but what if we get a flat tire right now in this really dangerous spot? I don't need to do that because my God is in control and he's big enough to handle whatever comes our way. Let me just tell you what I'm learning in my life. I'm learning that my fear is a waste of time if the God with perfect love is in control. So if I, if I get back into a spot where fear starts coming in again and I'm just worrying about something that's coming up in my life or in church or whatever, and I start to just fear again, and I feel like fear is taking over my life, I have to admit that when I do that, it's not just that I'm fearful. It's that what I'm happening is, think of fear like a cloud. I'm letting this cloud of fear come in my life, and it starts to blur out. This is what fear does. It starts to just blur out the reality of who God really is. And what happens when fear gets a hold of you is you start picturing these future scenarios, right, where everything's going wrong. But what are you truly picturing in those future scenarios? When you blur out God, now, we don't say it this way, but this is what we're doing. We're picturing future scenarios in which God is not in control. Right? This is why John says, right, in your passage, verse 18, he says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Right, but if I bring God back in the picture, I start pushing out the fear cloud, and I begin to see the reality of who he is, and that he's in control, and that he loves me, it starts to drive out fear. So just let that reality of who he is back in your life. So just keep unpacking this relationship between fear and perfect love, because we just need a cure. We need a remedy when it comes in, so we need to know what to do. Here's a second way. That perfect love, the perfect love of God drives out fear. It does this. It assures me, and this is God's perfect love, it assures me that God is 
for me. Okay, so this is the next step. You, you acknowledge that this God who loves you is in control, and you acknowledge that if he loves you, that he is for you. Uh, I want you to think of it this way. I, I have a son, Lincoln, who's a two. And like most kids, uh, he doesn't love the dark, right? He doesn't mind sleeping at night in the dark. But if he was, say, in the bathroom and one of his older siblings uh, closed the door and with the lights off, you know, he'd probably scream, right? It's just not a huge fan of it. And yet the other evening, I'm playing hide-and-seek with all three of my kids. Which every time I play hide-and-seek, they, they just can't help themselves. They always say to me, Dad, you're not very good at hiding. I just, think, I, I just say to them, I'm five times bigger than you, so shut your mouth. No, I'm just kidding, I don't say that. <laughs> but anyway, we're playing, okay, the twins are a five. It's their turn to, to, to find us, and Lincoln and I, it's our turn to hide. And so I, I take Lincoln up in my arms, and we walk into that same bathroom. And I shut the door, and I turn the light off. We walk into the little shower there. It's one of those that has like the, you know, the, like the nice seat thing in the corner. And we sit down, and he's on my lap. Same room, right? Lights off, door closed, sits on my lap, and he just starts giggling. Well, he's waiting to be found. What's the difference? Right? Why no fear this time? Right? Same room, just as dark. The difference is he knows some truths this time. He knows, one, that his father is with him. Two, he knows that I love him. Now work out this truth about love and fear. If I love him, he just knows this instinctively, right? If I love him, then I don't have plans to hurt him, even if it's scary. He knows that I am for him, and so he can relax, and he can let the fear go, because love drives out fear. Do you see that? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God is for you? Friends, even if you just feel like your life is falling apart right now, you just got to trust in this. God loves you. He is for you. One of the great verses of the Bible, Romans 8.28, Paul writes this. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working for good in your life right now, even if it looks like someone just shut the door and turned off the lights. He's working for good, and you can know that because he loves you. Our perfect love, God's perfect love, it drives out fear even if our health fades and our lives fade away. Because I don't know about you, this is what my fear says back to me. Like I hear this and I read the words of scripture about perfect love driving out fear, and this is what my fear says to you. I don't know if you think like this, but I think, okay, yeah, maybe, but what if things really go wrong, right? This is what I do a lot. I go, think of so-and-so. And I just sort of give myself counterexamples. I go, think of so-and-so. Remember when they got really sick and they died. So, so what then? Okay, well, first of all, uh, everyone dies. Okay, so take, take that into consideration. Here's what John is saying in his word. He's saying the fear cure is so strong that it even applies to your death. Look back at the word. Look back at verse 17. He says, His love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, right after your death. He's saying the Christian can be incredibly confident on the day of judgment. Why? 
What does the word say? Because fear has to do with punishment. And the Christian doesn't fear judgment. Uh, Think of it this way. Do you remember when people used to actually watch American Idol? Uh, I don't know. You probably watched it like 10 years ago, right? Uh, That's when I watched it. And And I remember... Uh, they'd put, kind of at the end of those Hollywood episodes or whatever, they would put people into like the groups into different rooms and then they'd all kind of sit there like biting their fingernails and knocking their knees together and Randy Jackson or somebody would come in and say, oh, sorry dogs. You didn't make it, right? And they'd, oh, no, right? There's just so much tension. Now imagine the real judgment day. Right? We don't know exactly what it'll look like, but imagine if people are lined up in a line you're just watching people come out of the great courthouse of God one by one. And you watch the first person come out, and they're just pumping their fists, going, ha, I knew it, I knew it. And they're just ushered into the door that goes to heaven. You watch the next person come out, and they're just sobbing as they're ushered toward hell. If people are nervous about getting onto a reality TV show, that feels like absolutely nothing compared to waiting to hear the verdict where you're going to spend the next 10 trillion years or so of your life. And yet, Paul or John is saying, if you're already walking in the love of God, and you know Christ has perfectly paid for your sins, then you're going to be standing in line that day thinking, I am fully confident about what's going to happen in that room because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And see, John uses that as an example because he wants you to see the depth of God's love for you. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. If God has already died for you and saved you and is preparing a place for you for the next 10 trillion years, if he showed you that his love for you is that enormous, isn't he worth trusting for the next week or so of your life? Perfect love drives out fear. I just want to look at one last connection between love and fear. The third way that the perfect love of God drives out fear is this. It frees me from living for the approval of others. Okay, so if the God of the universe loves sinful, crazy me, then what does it really matter what other people think? And so you, th- you think of these ways, right? The first way, you've got people who were fearful because we just don't trust God is in control. You've got people that are fearful because we, in our lives, circumstances, we just can't believe that God is for us. And then thirdly, we're fearful because really we're just fearful what other people are going to think about us. You can trace about 90% of fear back to those three things. And this is why God's remedy for fear in Scripture is so effective. Okay, so let's, let's just say that God's calling you to do something, right? And you're a little scared about it, about what might happen, right? What's the worst that could really happen? I read this article a couple of months ago, and I just wanted to bring it to you today. It was about a guy named uh, Gary Haugen. Uh, Gary was the founder of an organization called the International Justice Mission. It's a large Christian organization. Uh, they, they free people trapped in sex trafficking. I read this article by him, and he was talking about when God was originally nudging him to start this organization, but he was fearful about it. Listen to what he writes. As he was talking about the prospect of leaving his job, where he had a nice pay and health insurance and salary and all that kind of stuff, he writes this. He said, I was thinking, 
what was I really afraid of? And as I thought about it, what I really feared was humiliation. If my little justice ministry idea didn't work out, no one was going to die. If international justice mission turned out to be a bad idea and collapsed, my kids weren't going to starve. We'd probably just have to live with my parents for a while until I could find another job. But with my education, arts are, I'd soon find a job. The fact is, what I feared was that I would be terribly embarrassed. Having told everybody about my great idea, they would know that it was a bad idea or that I was a bad leader. Either way, it would be humiliating. And I think so much of our fear for so many of us comes from a similar place. What we really fear is just looking dumb or failure or being rejected or ridiculed or embarrassed. But what if we really remembered his perfect love and we live like it was true? Look to God's word. Look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says this, fear of man, of what other people think, will prove to be a snare. So if God is calling you to something, and you better believe that he is, by the way, if he's moving you to something, and all you can think about is what other people will think, it's like you are trapped in a snare. You're not going to go really anywhere with your life because you're just trapped by the fear of what other people think. But if you believe in God and you trust in him, it says whoever trusts in the Lord, no matter where he takes you, even if it looks dangerous, will be kept safe. If the creator of the universe really loves me and sent his son for me, and he never stops thinking about me, then why am I so worried about what my coworker, about what my parents think? I just think so much of our fear in this, this culture can be traced back to this. Think of it this way. We're worried, we're fearful about what might happen, but for so many of us, at the root of that is really what we're really fearful about is what people will think about us when that bad thing happens. Just let go of that. If you're a believer, you already have the perfect love of God. I sometimes wonder, I look out at our sort of fearful generation that we live in in America, and I just wonder, will too many of us get to the end of our lives and look back and go, you know what, God just kept nudging me to do this, to go there, to start this, to talk to this person about this, but I just never did. I never even tried because I just didn't want to risk embarrassment and what people would think. But what does this world look like if everybody operates out of fear? What if Rosa Parks just said, I'm just, mm, I'm too fearful about what people will think if I, if I go to the back and sit down. What if, what if Billy Graham says, I'm just so nervous about public speaking. I'm just fearful what people are going to say. What if they don't like my message? What if Martin Luther King says, I'm just too afraid to march. I'm too afraid of what would happen if I had to go to prison. See, at some point, you have to stop being afraid of the people who just love you conditionally and start following the one who loves you unconditionally. Perfect love, perfect love drives out fear. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray as we look at your word today that it would sink all the way, God, from our heads to our hearts and that we would know, that we would believe that you are in control, that we would let it go, that we would believe, God, even if the door is shut and the lights are off, that you are for us. And God, may we live out the truth that what you think of us is ultimately what matters. God, may your love, as we just take this time, God, and we just turn our hearts to worship you, 
God, open up our hearts. And may your love just come in and wash our fear away. That's just our prayer, God, for today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.